Hello, and welcome to New Jersey is the World. Hi everybody, Chris Gethard here. Welcome to a very special experimental episode of New Jersey is the World. Do not skip the intro this week, please. I got, we're doing, I'm doing an experiment, kind of a mini live event, a free thing. You can hear more about that in a second, but First, before we do, I wanted to say thanks to everybody who leaves voicemails at 973-780-4660. And uh, this week, I want to say thanks to Bill, who listened to our New Jersey Museum episode and seems to have something to contribute. Hey, everybody. Um, my name is Bill from Edison, and I uh, just listened to the episode about the New Jersey Museum, and you mentioned about a piece of the uh, Hindenburg. Well, story has it that my mother always said that somewhere in the family was a piece of the Hindenburg. Uh, the story goes that the um, after the Hindenburg crashed, they brought the remains to Perth Amboy, uh, where they were melted down, and my uncle and I guess a bunch of other kids pulled some pieces off the truck. I guess it was a big deal that it was being brought to Perth Amboy. I don't even know if it was like a parade or something, but supposedly in the family somewhere was a piece of the Hindenburg. Anyway, I have no idea where it is, if I ever find it, um, I will surely donate it to the New Jersey Museum. Um, hopefully it will be right next to Bon Jovi's hair plugs. And what it will cost you would be a um, lifetime pass, but I know you guys could swing that. Uh, keep up the great work, and hopefully I will see you at a live show someday. Thanks. Thanks, Bill. Very Jersey of you to, in the tail end as an afterthought, say, I want a free lifetime pass. Very Jersey to just try to squeeze a little free lifetime pass at the end. And I would love to see you at a live show someday as well, Bill. Our next official live show is April 6th. It's in Asbury Park, houseofindependence.com. Peter Genovese is going to be there. Peter, of course, wrote the book on New Jersey diners. He's the guy who wrote the list of the best thing in every New Jersey town. This guy deserves to be honored. We are going to knight him. He shall become Sir Peter Genovese. We're going to put on a very bootleg version of Medieval Times in his honor. We'll have music from Burlington County's Take Today. And you might be saying, Chris, did you book a coven of witches to come and do actual spells to bless him and his health? Yeah. Peter Genovese is going to be interacting with real witches. Of course I did. You think I don't know witches? I know a lot of witches. Shout out to our friends at Lunar Fair for coming and hanging out. Now, this week's episode, I wanted to do a new thing, and I hope we all rally around it. I hope some people get out there. Um, I'm talking with Roger Apollon. Roger Apollon is one of the owners of Four City Brewing in Orange, New Jersey. Now, I met Roger. You're going to hear about that, how we met and everything, but... I've been wanting for a while to just interview people who run small businesses in Jersey. It's not easy to run a small business. Small businesses are the lifeblood of community, right? I, I, you know, I like driving on Route 22 and Route 10 and 46 and you go past the malls and targets and whatnot. But what really makes this place tick are the small places, the places that are embedded into neighborhoods and Roger's running one of them. I wanted to hear about how that came to be, the ups, the downs, the story, the goals. And as you're going to hear, it blew my mind. Roger's thoughts about community, about how small businesses can not just sur survive and thrive, but how they can become a part of the community and can aim to push back against gentrification through education. It's There's some stuff in here that absolutely blew my mind. You're all going to be a big fan of Roger. And if you are, 
and you like Roger and you like the sound of Four City Brewing, I'm inviting you right now. This is coming out on a Monday, right? If you're downloading this the day it came out, you're downloading it on Monday, March 14th, Friday the 18th. I'm hoping you'll come hang out with me at Four City Brewing. I'll be there from 6 to 8 p.m. Um, we'll do a little happy hour. It's not like a thing you have to pay admission for. Just, you know, if you're in North Jersey, you're like, Orange isn't that far from me. As mentioned, there's parking at the train station nearby. I'll go check it out. Six to eight, come hang out, say hi. And if you're on our Patreon over at patreon.com slash New Jersey is the world, I'll buy you your first drink. If you're at the $10 tier, I'll buy you your second drink. I'm going to run a, a tab and it'll just be on me. So you come, you'll hang out. That'll be my way of thanking you for listening. Be able to thank the Patreon members with a drink. And if you're like, I've been thinking about getting in on the Patreon, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Well, now this makes it the perfect month to do so. Because if you can come out to this thing, you sign up for five bucks. I buy you a beer, which probably would have cost you about that. Two if, you, if you're on the $10 tier. You get to come hang out. You get to support a, a, a great small business. And on top of it, then you poke around. You use that as your excuse to spend a month on the Patreon. See if it's for you. If you don't like it, just unsubscribe the very next month. Sign up for the rest of March. Unsubscribe in April. No harm, no foul. You get a beer out of it. Effectively, it doesn't cost you anything. See, that's me running my small business. Roger runs his small business. And you can hear he thinks so deeply and so hard about the idea of community and, and about how businesses can be part of community. It's, it's really rad. We got to support them. We got to rally around them. I'm hoping this will become a series where I can interview more small business owners along the way. So if you own a small business, you run a small business in New Jersey, 973-780-4660. Leave a voicemail. Let me know you want me to interview or just DM me on Instagram and my personal account or the New Jersey is the world account. And we'll figure something out. We'll figure if we can send some people your way. But for now, what I'm hoping is that you'll listen You'll go, this guy sounds awesome. This business sounds cool. I haven't checked out Orange that much. Let me go grab a beer at Four City Brewing on Friday the 18th between 6 and 8 p.m. Come say hi. I'll be able to thank you face-to-face for listening. It's going to be great. Okay, everybody, this is an experiment. There might be, I don't know, might be four of us. There might be a thousand of us. Who knows? Check in on the Patreon if you're coming. And join up if, the, if you've been thinking about joining up and you can make the event. Perfect excuse to do so effectively so you can just get it for free via booze, via my bank account. Anyway, enjoy this interview. Roger's really great. You're really great. Thanks for listening. New Jersey's really great. Some might say New Jersey is the world. I didn't think about that. That's funny. Yeah, it's... uh. It's plagued me my entire existence. Hi, everybody. We're, I'm talking with Roger Apollon right here for City Brewing. And uh, I had just asked him. I always check with everybody the pronunciation on their last names. Yeah, yeah. Because mine is very sensitive, obviously. <laughs> and this pronunciation is get hard, which has plagued me my whole life. So we're, that's how we're starting. But that, not, that, such a great, not such a great movie, but hey, you know, I, I, I kind of... You know. I was mad I didn't get like any sort of small part in that movie. You uh, should, right? You should have gotten a little something out of that, right? At I least mean, one line count towards the health insurance to the Screen Actors Guild, um, right? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. They should have been like, "You need to get hard," and you'd pop up like, "What?" Yeah, uh, like just yeah. me, like serve, like <laughs> like at a. I'm just like a barista at a coffee shop or something, <laughs> and then I get a little scratch. You guys use my last name, and I've worked with Will Ferrell before. He's a very nice guy. So, oh really? Yeah, I was a little, I was a little, uh, he actually, a, a lot of my career was because him and, and uh, his former partner, Adam McKay, like put me in some stuff and oh, really? so I got it going. Okay. So I'm like, well, how are you not going to, 
How are you not going to hook a brother up, man? What's yeah, up? give me a little something. <laughs> something. Give me a little something. Yeah. <laughs> Anything. Anyway. Now, I want to uh, explain. I did an event probably a month back at this point from the time we're recording at uh, the High Lawn, which is in my hometown of West Orange. It was a benefit show for, uh, there's a whole apartment complex on Northfield Avenue in West Orange that got taken out in an ecological disaster, a landslide. And I was there and I did some comedy. It was very awkward to do comedy in that space. It was not designed for comedy. It was very fancy. But immediately, Roger started laughing in this room at all the stuff that as a comedian, where I was like, you know, you build your punchlines in the hopes that people laugh at this and that. And I go, okay, me and this guy have a very similar sense of humor. He gets it. I also see him taking joy in the awkwardness of this. It wound up going well, but I could also see you on that. I saw you both enjoying the jokes and like, oh, this setup sucks for this guy and I'm enjoying that. But it was really great. It was a really good event and uh, kudos to uh, Jarrett from Bagels by Jarrett for organizing it. But then we got yes. to talking. You were there representing your company, Four City Brewing. Right. And uh, we got to talking and I realized um, it might be fun for us to talk on my uh, my uh, little New Jersey podcast here because there's yeah. a lot to talk about. There is very astute observation about what I, why I was laughing because I definitely was laughing at the jokes because nobody was getting all the inside West Orange jokes uh, or very few or not admitting it. Uh, and then just seeing the awkwardness of it. I just like, this is amazing. You know? <laughs> yeah. Cause you're up there just like, yep, these are. <laughs> well, the way they had the stage set up was very, I felt like you and I bonded instantly because they set up the stage where it faced an area yeah, yeah. Where the only thing that was happening was you standing there distributing beer, and then right. all the actual humans were to the right and to the left, <laughs> right. which you can anyone. It was like my own private that. show. It was like my own private show. It was and like I was performing a one-person show for one person, and then there were like a hundred other people there spread out in areas where it was <laughs> almost impossible for me to make eye contact with them. Yeah, I wonder. I, I was like, I wonder if this was like you know medieval kings. Like, when it was like that for them, like bring a comedian, the royal comedian comes right. in and says the jokes, and the and the king's having a great laugh, and everybody else is just like, what the. <laughs> but it it made me feel like there's a there was a certain level of uh, sadistic joy that you took in it. Where right after, I mean, we were talking afterwards and laughing about it, and I said, okay. And then it turns out, um, you've lived in West Orange, you run a business out of Orange, and yep. And I tell you, we have this. You know, New Jersey is the world here. We have a whole bunch of different shows, and one thing that I've been hoping to do for a long time, um, and actually. Jared's going to be the next person I talk to as part of this. Oh, nice. We've done like a little mini series where I talk, I've been talking with a bunch of Nork natives about the relationship between mm. Nork and its suburbs. We've done a whole section. Uh, oh, wow. A whole series on our Patreon that's about South Jersey because I don't know enough about South Jersey. So my friend Andrea is like, this is bullshit. And then we do a show together. And I've wanted to talk to small business owners throughout the state as well because it's the lifeblood of everything. Mm. Absolutely. It's how communities kind of establish roots and embrace their roots. And your spot seems to be aiming to be part of that lineage, but it's also not easy. And it's also a state where there's a lot of corporate influence and there's, a, I mean, it's a, a world where there's a lot of corporate influence, but it's also, yep. um, it's, it's not an easy thing I would imagine. So felt like it would be fun to just chat all these t issues up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'll take it one step further about small businesses. I, I you know, small biz, small business is America. I mean, yes, that's. I mean, the the backbone of this country, how this thing started, was you know, I mean, 
people may, uh, you know, there's wide debate, at rightfully so, about the means of how that small, how, how these small businesses operated. However, you can't, you can't deny that small businesses are America. People got up here, they set up shop, and they traded goods. Um, and everybody had their own little, there was no, you know, there's no shop, right? There was no, you know, I yeah. can't go to the supermarket, uh, uh, you know. Uh, so I feel like this is a return to what I think, and my hope is what's going to be the key to unlock all the, you know, the nonsense that's happening in this country and throughout the world. I think if we bring it back to that, that might clear up a lot of these issues that are happening. I hope, I'm, I'm, that's being very you know, optimistic, but I do think it's the path to figuring it all out. I'm with you. I've had that sense as a comedian for a while, you know, as it's like, there's just so many more artists. I can, I think of it from my perspective as an artist, you go, there's so many more artists. Hmm. And I think in music too, it's like, okay, there's less, you're not going to see like someone take over on the level that MTV used to be able to, but there's a lot right. more people making livings that are a Absolutely. little more modest than that. But then what happens is it goes, okay, can you find your small fan base? And I think for a lot of things too, one of the big questions I think that's really fascinating about this point in history is like, how do we embrace regionalism without encouraging more division and, and tribalism and whatnot? And small businesses are like, you, I think they're the answer to that question. They are. Uh, and, and another thing I just want to put out there for people is part of why I want to start highlighting New Jersey businesses too is, and, and this is actually something I heard Cory Booker say that mm. I found really inspiring where he said, and I will repeat this endlessly on, on this podcast is one of it, one of the simplest activist choices you can make in life is where you spend your money, oh. where you spend your money Oof. is a choice. And that can be an activist choice. Oof. Um, he if we were in it, church, I'd be waving a white handkerchief. Right <laughs> Standing up, waving a white handkerchief right now. He said it in reference to, he was like, I don't buy new clothes off the rack. I buy used clothes. I'm a United States senator. He's like, but environmentally, there's so many clothes sitting there that are perfectly fine, that look good. So go spend your money that way. And it's you can you can buy your stuff through Amazon or you can find the spot in your town. You yep. can go to the corporate place or you can go to the place that stands for something else. And that being said, tell me about Four City. Tell me about its origin. Tell me how you got up and running and how you wound up in Orange. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, I can't wait to dive into the other stuff. I'll, I'll get the boring stuff out the way first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Four Cities, just uh, so I'm, you know, born in Newark, grew up in West Orange. My, you know, my parents are from Haiti. Uh, they moved, you know, they met in Brooklyn. And uh, we moved out here in 70, 71 around that time. Uh, not a lot of diversity back then, but. Um, there are you know, a handful of other uh, black families, but also Italian families and Jewish families, and whatever, and, and Irish families. So, um, you know, I you know went to Rutgers, you know, went to high school, you know, Essex Catholic in East Orange, you know, went to daycare at uh, Valley Settlement House in Orange, New Jersey, had relatives who, uh, who lived in South Orange. So I was always around the oranges my whole life. Went to Rutgers, got a communications degree, started working in, in, on... Uh, uh, on 8th Avenue and advertising, right when I started singing in a band, quit that job, sang in a band, made no money off the band and went back to working full-time in corporate America, <laughs> in New York City, in fashion, got a job, my dream job, worked for Kenneth Cole, did that for a couple of years, hated it, became a school teacher, moved back to Newark, moved back to, I'm sorry, West Orange, 
quit my corporate job, started teaching in Newark and was a school teacher in Newark for 10 years teaching PE. Uh, and then the last four years and then three or four years in, in Brooklyn before I became a brewer. All that time when I moved back to New Jersey, I got into craft beer. I went to the local Total Wine in West Orange, Essex Green. And I said, hey, what other beers do you have other than I was drinking Who Garden and I was drinking Yingling. But then I started to buy the Yingling like mixed uh, 12 packs. And, uh, you know, I'm drinking. I had a, a um, I had a Duvel, which is a Belgian beer. I had a Chimay. So I started going down this path of buying craft beer once a week, then once every other day, then once, then every day. So the point my wife was like, you know, are you okay? And I was like, no, <laughs> she says, there's something you need to tell me about. Cause you're buying beer every day. I see these charges, $10 here, $15 there. At that point I spent like 40, $50 a week on, on beer. But I, I got bit by the bug of trying all these beers from all over the world, reach, researching them online on my own. To make a very long story short, I went to a beer tasting in Montclair, met a couple of craft brewers, home brewers across, the, uh, across from me. We started talking. I said, hey, at the end of the night, we got to be friends. I said, you know what? Bring your craft beer to my house. I'll invite my neighbors over and we'll be like your guinea pigs. We'll be like your tasting group. And that's what started what, we, what I call the brew council. So once a month, you know, we would, you know, the first one was we brought homebrew and some other brews from, you know, and they were the experts. This guy, Tom Arulakis, who is the uh, CEO of uh, Scopus Hospitality Group. So they own um, Barrow House and um, uh, Cowan's and the Vanguard, like five or six restaurants. So he was one, the one guy. And then the other guy was a guy named Garrett Brown, who's now this sales rep for Firestone Walker uh, Brewing out in California. So uh, they had four or five beers, and then we filled it out with other like classic beer styles. And we wrote a little menu, and I invited my six friends over, and we sat down. And it was so much fun. We decided, let's do it once a month. And it grew from five to ten guys. Now the lists are getting more uh, advanced. Now, instead of going to Total Wine, now we're actually going to the handful of craft breweries opening up in New York and New Jersey, and we're getting beer, and we're bringing that back. Now, guys are going to Colorado, guys are going to Vermont, guys are going to Belgium. You know, I went to Belgium, you know, with my family, brought back some beer, and we're and now, now it's like one-upsmanship. Now it's like, who can bring in, now it's a flex. Now everybody's coming in, like, what's your hot shit? Like, what do you got? And it's like, all right, I got this. We're like, ooh, I got this. Like, oh, wow. So... What we didn't know is that we were developing our flavor profiles. So I said, you know what? I'm a fan of branding. The Brew Council, Tom's a girlfriend, uh, old girlfriend at the time, wife currently, uh, Pam uh, Horvath, she made, uh, she was a graphic designer. She made this cool Brew Council logo. And I was like, ooh, I'm going to put that on a polo, like a, like a Best Buy polo, a blue one. Right? I made up 20 of them. I sold them to my friends, right? And then Brew at the Zoo, Turtleback Zoo is happening. The first one ever, like six or seven years ago. So 20 of us show up with our Brew Council shirts. And people are like, who the hell are you guys? So like, you guys ah. rolled up like a gang. You like rolled a- up like in colors. <laughs> in colors. But the thing is, we came in drips and drabs. And, and people would see the shirts. And then we, and then we congregate. There's like two of us. Now there's four of us. Now there's eight of us. Now people are like, all right. First it was like me and this other guy. I was like, ah, oh, you guys, you're weird. Now it's like 10 of us. People are like, who are you? And the whole time we're like, look, we're just friends. It's just kind of like our, our drinking group. But we start getting buzzed throughout the festival and people are like, what are you guys? And now we're getting creative. You know, now I'm like, you know, we're beer consultants. They're like, really? 
we, we never did that. Uh, uh, we do beer pairings. They're like, really? I'm like, no, we won't do that. Uh, we do beer consultation. We will consult with, I mean, we were talking all kinds of stuff and giving out my number, giving out my email, having a great time. I didn't think to, anybody took us seriously, but don't you know, Monday morning, I got four emails two offering to do a tasting. I got a 40th birthday party. <laughs> I met you after at the zoo. Can you do it for my husband? I was like, what? Uh, a restaurant reached out. Hey, I heard, I met you at brew at the zoo. Can you do this pairing? Or can you recommend some beers? I'm like, so I call my brew council guys like, Hey, you know, I got this thing who can help. You know, most people are like, ah, you know, this was a, this was a fun gag, but I don't know anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> so me and then uh, another and Tom and Garrett, we said, you know, like, let's make this happen. So we started doing these tastings and pairings. And we do this for two years. Mind you, I'm a school teacher. Mind you, we all have full-time jobs. And we start a Facebook group. And now it's like 50, now it's 60 people. Half of them I don't know. And now it's a thing. I go to a house party seven years ago in on Gregory, Gregory Avenue, right? Neighbor's house. I see, I see a woman I've never met before. She looks at me. She's like, brew council, right? I'm like... Yeah. How do you know that? It's like, oh, my husband, he's on your Facebook group. You guys are a brewery, right? I'm like, nah, we're just friends. Oh, right. Whatever. Same party hour later, a guy, hey, you're a brew council. I'm like, yeah. How do you know that? Oh, I went to a pairing you had at this restaurant. I'm like, yeah, that was me. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys brew beer? I'm like, nah, we're just literally just friend group. It's I was like, okay, I'm leaving the party, Chris. I'm leaving the party. A guy passes me by and he's like, wait, wait. You're the brew council guy. I'm like, yes. He's like, wait, so wait, are you guys a brewery? I was like, you know what? We are a brewery. And he was like, wow, when are you guys going to open? And that was seven years ago. Uh, and so I called my friend, Anthony Minervino and said, Hey man, we like, he, you know, neighbor lives in town. Like people think we're a brewery. Like let's write a business plan. So we wrote a two page business plan. <laughs> you know, one was a power, one was like a, it was like a one page overview and then a one page like budget that, that said half a million dollars on the other side. You know, it was like, there it is. We're just going to hand it to the bank. They're going to give us money. It's going to be great. Or we're going to give it to our friends. They're going to raise money. And bro, we were, you don't want to talk, you know, WWF or, you know, full contact. These meetings we were going into pitching, we were getting body slammed. We were getting headlocked. We were getting suplexed. We were getting kicked in the face. We were getting face raked, you know, figure four leg locks, all that. Um, and we're getting destroyed in the business. And I find some software online. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to figure out how to write a business plan. And it took uh, a long time, 18 months to be exact. And I started writing the business plan while we're brewing this not so great beer. The, so the beer home brewing is not so great. It's okay, but it's not great. So it's so we're giving it to our <laughs> friends and our friends are like, this is good. And we're kind of like, really? And then we're giving it to like, people that we don't know they're like mm, this is okay um so while we're writing these terrible business plans getting body slammed in these meetings and drink and, and peddling like mediocre beer we do this for 18 months <laughs> now we didn't think it would take 18 months we thought it would take seven weeks but it took 18 <laughs> months to raise this money Cause we were walking in literally, but here's the thing. Every time we got body slammed, we were like, we didn't get body slammed. We didn't get body slammed the same way. Like, all right, we got body slammed because we didn't see the right hook coming. All right. All right this guy throws rights. So by six months in, we were like, we know the answers, right? Six months in the beer is now tasting really good. 
while uh, we're also dropping off the beer to the guys who own other half brewing this guy matt monahan other half brewing in new york amazing one of the top best breweries in the world he happened to be living in the town at the time and we were dropping off beers like once a month and he would give us feedback like you know your beer tastes like band-aids because x (laughs) 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 your beer tastes like onions and feet because y but he'd always say because whatever and he'd tell us exactly what it was that made it taste that way and we would fix it and then it and again it was the feedback we needed. It wasn't just this beer sucked. It's just like, here's why it sucks. And here's how you can fix it not sucking. Um, and he was patient enough. He didn't have to do it. The guy owns now six breweries in, in three states. So he didn't have time to really deal with us. So his comments and his feedback were like, very like to the point. And here's what's going to help. And don't you know, right after 18 months, the business plan was solid. Um, we had some investors. Um you know, we raised the money, uh, you know, the beer was tasting pretty good. Um, so, well, we found the place in orange, uh, actually the place found us. Somebody put on Facebook, anybody know of any breweries looking to open in the area? What? Who That's does that? One in a million, huh? In a million on a Soma swap group type thing, like some Soma group. And they alerted our other partner at the time, uh, Jeff so, Gattens. For people who don't know the Essex County lingo, Soma, South Orange, Maplewood. Yes, exactly. So, And somebody was like, you should check this out. This developer showed us a spot in downtown Newark where currently Newark local brewing is. And at the time, it was this huge two-story open space. We're like, this is way too big. And we were going to walk off the barcade a block away um, to have a drink. And he was like, oh, can I join you? So we talked to this guy. And he was like, you know what? I'll keep you guys in mind. Two months later, we get a phone call from the place we're at now. Hey, I heard you guys look for a spot. I have a spot in Orange. We're like, where? South Essex. We're like, where? I don't know where that is. Next to the train. As soon as I saw the spot, Chris, as soon as I saw the spot, man, it, I mean, it's right next to the Orange train station. Like, literally, it steps away on the New York bound side. Um, it was 5,000 square feet. It was glassed in windows. I mean, high ceilings. I just was like, this has got to be the place. Um, completely empty, brand new development, and they're building a lot in that area. We'll talk about that later. But um, and that's how we got the place. So we opened uh, April of 2019. We hired a full time brewer because we're not we can't brew on big systems. So we found it. We hired a professional brewer to scale our recipes to the size, and we opened and great success. Uh, you know, we're all musicians, so we had our bands playing. I have a playlist there. It's got 3,000 songs. I curate, and we have art on the wall, and just awesome. Just people, all our neighbors, just amazing. Eight months later, you know, COVID. And uh, that Brutal. was really crazy. Brutal. Um, very, very crazy. Um, I love so. that. Like, those bullet points are made. First of all, it makes sense to me that everybody's recognizing you at the parties as, as the Brew Council guy. Because I met, first night I met you, I'm like, you have no problem being social. You are a, <laughs> you are in your element as a social human being in a way I'm envious love- of. Um, so that it. makes sense. But, I love that there's some very realistic things in there. I love that it's, so it starts with a poorly thought out business plan and a middling product, but also a real sense of community. Also people willing to mentor you guys, you and your partners willing to be humble and take the people's notes and advice. You sit there and you go, well, if you have those things and determination and then you get lucky, it might work out. That's, that's such a cool thing to hear. Yeah. You Uh, nailed it on the head. Absolutely. I looked it up and uh, it seems like there's been an explosion in craft brewing in New Jersey 
in the, but it's it's recent. It's recent. Yeah. There's yeah. There's actually a Wikipedia entry called Beer in New Jersey, which I was not expecting. Everybody <laughs> knows about Am- Anheuser Busch. Everybody knows about the beer bottle that used to be over the Parkway. We all grew up with that, right? Where is that bottle? <laughs> yeah, somebody has it. I know. So I know they saved it. I, I don't think it was destroyed. Okay, we got to track that down. That should be Work. something that's standing in my backyard, ideally. That should be definitely next to our brewery or in our brewery. Oh, it would be amazing. Putting it out there. If the bottle's there, uh, 55 South Essex in Orange, New Jersey. The uh, 07050. First brewery in New Jersey was actually in what is now Hoboken, but it was destroyed in a war with the Lenape in 1643. So brewing's been around Damn. here since 1643. Um, but some big names, right? Um, Ballantyne, Pat. Ballantyne, yes. Yep. Obviously, Anheuser Busch, and even as a West Orange guy, through and through, I I didn't realize Orange Orange was, Brewing Company. I had no idea. I looked it up. Nineteen oh one. Nineteen oh one. Exactly. And a lot of the people, Winter Brothers. People may not have heard of the Winter Brothers, but eventually, this was the plant that was manufacturing Rheingold, which I think for a lot of us of a certain age, Rheingold was still around. I still remember that. I, I don't know if they still make Rheingold. Uh, they don't make it in Orange anymore. They don't make it at all, from what I understand. And 1981 was the last year that—that's when they closed the factory. In 1981. So I was a—I was in eighth grade when they closed that. So um, Orange has a legacy of brewing that even as a West Orange guy, I grew up right. I grew up right in the neighborhood that's right where like Jimmy Buffs and crosses over into Orange, and you got Star Tavern. So I'm familiar. Okay. I, I I definitely have some familiarity with Orange. My mom went to high school at Our Lady of the Valley. You know, like all right. Uh, I didn't know the brewing legacy of it, and. I loved on your website, you talk about this is a city that has this legacy and, and we're also bringing it back. I, I love that connection to history too. Super Absolutely. Cool. We, so again, the place found us. We were, we were wanting to open in West Orange because um, that's where we're from. And for whatever reason, just not pot, wasn't, you know, there's nothing available that fit at the time. Um, still a dream, but, you know, we love Orange. And once we found that we were in Orange, the first thing I did, you know, because I'm a, you know, I was communications major, so I'm a you know library nerd. I'm like, let me do some research on orange and beer and orange, brewing an orange. And I did not know about uh, the Winter Brothers in 1901 coming from, I think, Pittsburgh and opening up. And it was uh, Orange Brewing Company. And it was, you know, pretty big brewing company. There's some memorabilia still floating around. There's a couple of bottles somewhere, somebody, you know, that neighbors have. Um, but you know, and they brewed for a while up until the sixties and seventies. And I think it switched over to Rheingold and Rheingold was huge. I mean, Rheingold had, I remember Rheingold had commercials, uh, you know, billboards. I mean, huge local uh, or regional brewery. And um, Rheingold was kind of, you know, cause I've been sober many years, but I still, I can still be a very big nerd about any topic. <laughs> I always think in Rheingold in my head, I always think like, that's like, a working class beer. That's like mm. a, when you get off your shift at the factory or your dad yep. and your uncle's in the backyard after a day of work beer. That that, that yep. always struck me as that kind of thing, which feels very orange to me too, working yes. class town. Exactly. And when I was younger, when I, cause I lived in Brooklyn for, I guess, three or four years when I was, before I moved out to New Jersey, I remember going to a ball game with my dad to, the, to go see the Mets. I'm a Yankees fan, by the way. Uh, but I saw a Met game and I just remember seeing, I just, all I remember seeing huge Rheingold billboards. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, Rheingold was the beer that you drank at the ball game. You know, you're watching a nine inning game. Everybody's drinking a Rheingold, you know, cracking one open, having one or two in the hot sun. My dad was having one. That's, so that's all I remember. When I think Rheingold, I think hot summer day, um, really easy drinking. Again, working class. Um, although, you know, uh, you know, my dad was in 
architect, whatever, but it was like an easy drink. It's not fancy. Everybody's hanging out. So um, yeah, orange has the history and, and this is, you know, and again, this is why I know like uh, orange shows us, I feel like, you know, there's a reason why we're in orange, you know, not only the brewing history, but, and, and you know, this it's when, when I was younger, again, I, I visited and frequented all the oranges interchangeably. There was no orange that I felt was uh, closed to me or I felt uncomfortable in at the, you know, maybe because I was a kid or maybe at the time, but now, you know, I see that, you know, orange and East orange are kind of over here and West yes. orange and South orange are kind of over there. Uh, you know, racially, sometimes uh, socioeconomically. And, it's, and these are false boundaries. These are false barriers. And us being an orange, for me, it's, it's for city. Again, we're trying to bring back, it, you know, again, it all used to be orange. It, it was all orange. Thomas Edison's early patents are from Orange, New Jersey, because it's all, it, it all used to be together. And then West Orange and South Orange and East Orange broke off. Uh, North Orange, technically on the map, is Montclair, right? So if you're going to look at the map and see, because there is no North Orange, um, but um, but you know everything was orange, and we're we're bringing that back. There's so much culture, there's so much talent, there's so much creativity. If you really combine all the oranges, now the the politicians are not going to like this part, but imagine if we pooled all of our resources. Imagine if all the police resources of the four oranges pool their resources together. Imagine if all the education, if those four oranges pool their education money, you know, imagine what could happen. Imagine if they pooled all their, their money for their sports teams or for their music programs. Imagine what those four oranges would look like. So we talk about equality, but then, we'll, then we also talk about equity. And I'm, what I'm talking about here is equity, giving, spreading the resources in a way where everybody has a fair shot. There should be no reason that somebody who lives two miles away from my house doesn't have as many resources as I do. It's that doesn't make any sense to me. Mind blowing to me as someone who grew up in our part of the world. And now as someone who's a dad who sees how schools work right. and where you go, I think about it all the time, actually, especially because everything in Essex County is so jammed up on top of each other. Where I go, wow, like you're right. Like I, I actually wanted to ask you about this exact thing because a lot of people might hear, oh, there's a craft brewery. Is, and uh, am I using the right phrase? Would you say yeah, craft brewery? Yeah, so, absolutely, yeah. So you, there's a craft brewery up in Essex County, and a lot of people might instinctively go, oh, cool, which part of Montclair is that in? Oh, it's not in Montclair. <laughs> oh, then is it in Maplewood? No. Milburn, it's, maybe? Is it South no, no, West Orange. West Orange, right? <laughs> oh, it's in one of the oranges. It's got to be South Orange, right? No. South okay. Orange, right? No. All right. It's going to be in certain parts of West Orange. Next to the train, you said, right? South Orange, then. <laughs> right. Exactly. Whereas Orange... Let's be honest, growing up where I did, like orange kids were tougher kids. Yeah. Orange it, kids, East Orange kids were really tougher kids. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And that and that's a nice way of putting it. And and then you think about it and you go, Man, tougher kids is viewed as a compliment in some way. It also means kids who had less and were right. probably put upon more in right like you said, socioeconomic ways. Certainly I have to imagine, especially in the past handful of years, we're all starting to admit the relationship between police. If you grew up, if you grew up in certain sections of Essex County, you probably have a very different relationship with the police than if you grew up in East Orange or Irvington as a teenager. Absolutely. Undebatable. How do you get the local community in Orange to embrace the idea of a craft brewery? 
how do you get the craft brewery fans who probably live in the places like Maplewood and Montclair to come to Orange? That's got to be something you and your partners think about, right? We, you know, we, we thought about it like blithely and, you know, um, you mentioned earlier determination, you know, and luck. Um, and you have to have determination. You have to be determined, you know, to have the mindset of building it and, and they will, sh- and they will come, you know, the concept was sound in my mind, the four cities coming together. So you just have to put it out there. This is the concept I'm thinking about and see what, and people were responding to that concept. Like, you know what, that sounds like a good idea. So to your, to, to answer your question, number one, the only way that I found successful to get people, uh, my, my local Arge residents to come into the brewery was by outreach. I have to go out to meet people where they are. So for the first few months when I'd see people of color, anybody walking by, um, but mostly people of color who normally are intimidated to come to a craft, a shiny new craft brewery in their town. And they, and they, and they feel like they could smell the gentrification coming out of the, out of the vents. I go out front and say, Hey, how's it going? Hey, yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm Roger. I'm, I am, I'm actually the part, part owner. I'm one of the owners of the place. Oh, you own the place. Oh, okay. So it is black owned. So they need to see its, its visibility is one and I have to, and, I, and that, and that's on me. I wish it wasn't a hat. I wish it didn't have to be on me. I wish people, I wish my people would just naturally want to feel comfortable going to anywhere where they feel like as long as they're, you know, as the door is open and they have money in their pocket, they should be able to go anywhere. But you and I both know that's not the case. So I've got to make it extra, extra. Hey, it's me. Hey, I actually own it. Well, where do you live? I actually born in Newark, grew up in West Orange. West Orange, really? Where'd you go to school? I went to high school, actually, in East Orange. Okay, so you're from here. Okay. So you're not an outsider trying to extract. Okay, cool. So that's one. Maplewood, it, the easy part, like Maplewood people coming to Orange, that's, a, that's not even a, th- look, white people have been chasing black culture since, <laughs> 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 since, since. <laughs> Cotton club should I go anymore? Uh, you know, as like, like you know, <laughs> let's keep it on to Chris. So that's that's easy. That, that's that that's the easy one. This really, is cool, this is a cool spot ha- happening in an area that that's predominantly black, or you know, might be considered dangerous, but is cool. I gotta go check it out, right? Because that's just right. Why do like again? Why did why did people go up? You know, white people go uptown in Harlem to the Cotton Club. Why did they go up there? Because they knew that hey, like wow, Harlem, I, I, wow, it's almost kind of because, and that's the reality. Safety uh, is, is the is the base is the underlying cause of all this. So when a black person goes into a craft beer bar, they need to be ready for the fact that they're going to be the only one in that place. And if you can't bear up to that weight of being the only one in the room, then you don't go because it's not fun all the time. You got to be crazy like me or just be upwardly mobile or just be like, I don't care and be so confident. But as a white person, you could be white everywhere, right? And it doesn't matter. Even in the hood, you could be white because you know, if shit gets you know tight, you know, the cops come, they're like, all right, they're locking everybody else down, making sure you're okay. Um, and that's the reality. So you can, you know, it's a, it's a safety thing. So white people coming to orange, yeah, not that much of a risk. I mean, yeah, but come on. Like if I live in Milburn and I come to orange and something pops off, you're, you're good. I feel like orange, like I feel, and again, and nothing like, will pop off by the way, just, no, just to be clear. I mean, no. there's no guarantees, but um, when you're in high traffic, 
um, high volume area with a product and a brand that people like and are behind, trouble stays away. You know, and and we've been lucky enough not to really draw any of that because the people that, that tend to come in are positive, and um, you know, we we think that we just you know, there's not a chance for things to happen so far because there's always people around, there's always lots of eyes. So here is my white guy who grew up in West Orange instinct, right? Is like, okay, go. And this is me. I, I'm I try to just admit, like, okay, some of this seems learned, some of this is biases that I were taught, like, okay. If it was East Orange, people would be more concerned. That would be the closed-minded Essex County suburbanite view of it. Absolutely. There's more to be concerned about. In Orange, I go, everything's probably going to be fine. Maybe my car might get fucked with on a bad night. (laughs) That's kind of right. Am I wrong? Is that right or wrong? Honestly, Chris, yo, I fuck with you, man, because you're really keeping it like – that's Let's be realist. honest about Let's what white it, people from the western right? parts of Essex County Let's are thinking. I'm like, it. fuck, if I can't park close enough, is my car going to get fucked with? Right. That's, Let's just, that's Let's, just keep it, Let's just keep it 100. Let's just talk about that. That's Jersey really people are is. good at that. That's right? the thing. I'll say this about Western Orange, too. It's one of the most confusing places you could ever grow up, but you certainly learn that everybody talks to everybody in a pretty real way if you grew up in West Orange and you embrace the experience. And like, yeah, that's my thing is what's the parking like near the brewery? Right. Right, you got, that's, and you but, and your partners have to think about that. I bet, right? right? And for us, we, that's why every time, and I, I, you know, I'm no, I'm not embarrassed to say this is just the reality of my life. Whenever I say, do I go to anywhere and say Four City Brewing in Orange, New Jersey, and they say where Orange, New Jersey, and they're like, oh, where? And then usually, if they know anything about Jersey, the next question is, where in Orange? <laughs> right. And I was, and I always have to say, right next to the train station, because that means it's close to safety it's close to something public it's not right. you don't have to park your car on the street but i always tell people next to partly because when people think of the orange train station they have a landmark and and it's literally right next there but also it implies safety because we do on the weekends after five o'clock on the weekdays and all weekend long the parking in the new jersey transit spaces the permit spots are free so people can park there but right. a lot of people don't know that because they say permit parking like oh where do i park but parking in New Jersey is a problem everywhere. But everywhere. I digress. But in, in regards to this, I always say ours next to the train station to let people know we're right next to the train. So it is a safe spot. But you're right. East Orange, right? You know, closer to Newark, right? Um, you have to pat, you know, it's in between Orange and, you know, and Newark. And I think a lot of people you know, feel like East Orange is a bit more dangerous. You know, part of the reason, you know, and honestly, my experience with East Orange, the people are amazing, but they're also, the culture is a bit closed off. And I understand it. At first, I just feel kind of like, wow, why are they so kind of insular? Why do they kind of keep them on? So, because they they do feel, it, you know, they feel that. I think East Orange people do feel like people don't really like it's a little too dangerous and they don't come that far. So you're like, screw you. We're going to create our own stuff and you stay out. And, and I respect that, you know, I don't know how to like my, you know, my, my goal is to, I'm always outreaching. I'm always trying to connect East Orange in some way, but it's been tougher to penetrate East Orange. I have a great ally in this guy, Mark, Mark Cheatham, who you know uh, works for the town and he's been instrumental in working with the local businesses and really connecting everybody. But, you know, it's, you know, there are closed society uh and, and a lot of it out of necessity and, and, and you know and that's just the reality you know and i'm, I'm hoping we could try to fix that 
it's really it's it's such a it's you can feel that there are mechanisms in place to keep people kind of viewing each other with a side eye historically and i i want to do my part to push back against it and call it out because even being from West Orange, like if you, I remember getting pulled over in Livingston, I remember getting pulled <laughs> over in Fairfield once and they'd see the West Orange and the, I remember getting pulled over in Fairfield, which is part of West Essex and the copying the quote, what are you doing up here? And me right. going, what? Whereas right. if I got pulled over in Irvington, the cop might go, what are you doing here? Doing go, here. Oh, or they Did you come here looking for drugs or something? Like, you're, you're cotton soft. But if I get pulled over in, other areas, they're going to go, what's a West Orange person? And that's all of Essex County, right? Like It is. I mean, my, my pullover experiences have been, uh, I've got pulled over ever, definitely. But the, the, the part that was frustrating with me is I, I got pulled over in my own neighborhood. Yeah, um, fuck that. I got pulled over in my own neighborhood and I, showed, and I showed them my permit or my license. Um, and they didn't believe me. They followed me to my house because <laughs> they... Because for some reason they thought I was smart enough to procure a false per license in 1980, whatever, and that I would put a, a local address on it. <laughs> like you're a master. <laughs> You'd have to be a mastermind. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I could barely drive the car and you're following me to my house. My mom had to open the door and see the cop and they're like, he's okay, ma'am. And my mom's like, of course he's okay. <laughs> like he lives like oh, he so lives cool. here. Yeah. So, but you know, but these are what I'm going through as a black person in this country. This is, you know, you know, par for the course. But to your point, pulling over, yeah, you know, there were checkpoints. You know, what are you doing up here? What's going on? Why? Why would you be in here? Um, I've gone to parties in. I've tried to go into bars and uh, clubs in the '80s in in the area, and be told at the door it's a private party. You know, knowing full well, I see people going in, in and out. Oh, sorry, boys, private party. I'm like, wow, really? It seems like not a private party. Yeah, sorry, it's invite only. I'm like, okay, you know, these are these are the things that would happen. That we, you know, we just have to be real about. You know, West Orange was not a progressive town when my parents moved here in '71. You know, uh, it, in a lot of ways, you know, it's it improved. Um, but you know, real estate people are, you know, it's real estate. It all boils down to real estate, right? Right. Right. I mean, redlining just fucked everything up. Once you draw a red line around stuff, once you do a red line around Newark and put 280, you already know the vibe. You already know the vibe. Um, and, and, and that, and we haven't recovered from that. So once you skip over, once 280 cuts through, it skips over East Orange, all these towns that had some sort of presence, some sort of marketing, you know, people, I used to get my hair cut. My dad used to get me for a barber on Central Ave in Newark. This little spot, uh, Louis, this guy, Lewis just cut my hair, just an old man spot, you know, that, and we kept that neighborhood, kept that guy around and put his kids through school for years and the highway skipped over him and a lot of other businesses like that. Um, and, and once you start putting value, look, once you start putting value on lifestyle, you set the game up for, for failure. It begs a very interesting question for where you're at, because if we're being truly real talk, you have to have considered the following, right? Like, so the New York Times calls Maplewood the new Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Maplewood explodes. Then mm -hmm. that pours over into South Orange. Mm -hmm. Now I'm starting to hear my old hometown of West Orange, that side of town where that border. Now the real estate agents are going, oh, you can't afford Maplewood or South Orange? Have you thought? And now we got the jitney to the chase. Montclair has always been Montclair, right? But now, when we moved back to Jersey, we're looking at houses and the real estate agent goes, 
My wife wanted to look at Montclair and Maple, but because that's where her <laughs> Brooklyn fridge, she didn't grow up in Jersey. Uh, I'm like, okay, okay, we can go look, but wait till you see the tax bills. You're not going right. to live. You're not going to like it at all. <laughs> no, but <laughs> we're in Montclair and this real estate agent's going, you know, if you guys, you're like city people, you want to keep it like hip and real or like Bloomfield. I'm like, listen, I love blue. I grew up in West Orange. So like, you're not going to convince <laughs> me that Bloomfield is Brooklyn. Like, I grew up here. Like not I, now. Like I see through it, you know, but- all this money's moving into this area. Wow, that explains a lot because I've seen stuff happen in Bloomfield. I'm like, oh, the real estate agents are pushing like it as the new Montclair. They're what? going, oh, you want Montclair without the Montclair prices? Have you thought about Bloomfield? But now, running a craft brewery in Orange right next to the train station, and you expressing this wariness, right? Like the real estate people play games. There must be thoughts of your end of how do you make sure your business. Great point. Weaves itself into the local community and raise it up and doesn't represent a way for the real estate people to go, hey, you want to live right next to a train? You want to live off the Maplewood train station? Look, craft brewery right here. Yep. You don't have to. It's actually closer than Maplewood and it's on the come up. Like, yeah, yeah. could be a talking point in that real estate conversation. Yeah. So uh, gentrification is real. What's happening in Orange is, is that, you know, um, there are brand new properties. There's a property right behind us, a Vermella building. They have got like 15, 20 properties around, beautiful uh, properties around New Jersey, which is good. Uh, look, I want, I think I think it's safe to say everybody wants to see their property values go up. I know I do. If I live in Orange and I found that my house is worth more than I than it was when I bought it, I don't care where I live in Orange. That's, that's awesome. I think everybody, I think my point is, and I think it's fair to say that my issues with the distribution of the uh, proceeds. So uh, number one, me being there is, is one way, like me being part, like the fact that I own uh, four city brewing in the middle of this area, you know, assures my spot in the ecosystem. So I'm there to be visible, to let other people know, like, this is not some outside, you know, whatever, this is actually whatever. Although I can't speak for, you know, what's going on around me. And two, and this is a long game, but this is what I'm doing to counteract that is I'm starting, I'm starting um, a, a brew training program, uh, entrepreneurship, equity, and brewing. Oh, that's the EEB. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, we have an interest meeting tomorrow on the 5th. We're starting our classes on the 19th of March, 10 weeks, three hours on a Saturday, nine to 12. You're going to learn the basics of brewing. You're going to learn how to home brew. We're in the business of brewing all, you know, we're going to highlight, we can't go too far because it's 10 weeks. Um, and with the hope that if the people who really want a career change, I'll be able to plug them into something uh, right in their career. Cause I know a lot of people in the industry, there's always job openings, but the, sh the short answer is education. So I'm going to use the brewery um, as a means to educate that local population on the art and the craft and the business of brewing with the goal of, creating the next generation of craft brewers from that area. So now if I've got, if I've got talented people who live in the area who want to open a brewery, that's a more, that's a, everybody loves that story. There's and, and I should be able to, hopefully I'm not at that position yet, but I'm trying to get to a position where I can actually help fund that. So like, Hey, you know what, this person, or I, I know the people say, Hey, this brewer that we trained is awesome. She lives right around the corner and she's ready to do something and what do you, you know, taste her beer. She's been making some beer here. What do you think? Oh my gosh, this is great. Here's the financiers guys. Good luck. 
all we ask is that 5% of your proceeds per year go back to the, you know, our foundation so we can make sure this program keeps going. So that's, that's, it's a long game, but that's the only way to counteract it. You have to, you have to grow. I'm only one of three crap black owned craft breweries in the state. I'm That's only one of wild out of 140. I'm only one. I'm only 90 of 9,000 craft breweries in the country, black owned one of 90. And out of those 90, less than 30% actually have a brick and mortar. So I'm a minority of a minority of a minority that actually have a brick and mortar. Cause a lot of these other, uh, crap, black owned craft brewers are contract brewing, brewing out other people's systems. Um, so that, it, but yeah, when you look at the, if you look at the labels, if you listen to the soundtracks of a lot of these breweries, it's all black culture, which is fine. Right. Right. That's fine. However, right. If we're only 90 out of 9,000 saying now, I understand why that is. Cause let's face it. Craft beer at this point it was like, it's a, it's a rich white guy thing. People, when they started this thing, this was a hobby, you know, you need yeah, space, you need time, you need supplies. Yeah, and it's a hobby, you know. You nobody's really doing it to make money. Like, yeah, we'll make money, but I got a day job. But look, it's it's a business now. It's like, look, the people who had the money to start it, and their networks are generally homogenous. So that's why the craft beer industry looks like the way it does, which is why it's important for guys like me. And, and I got to grow the next generation of business owners because I'm bringing my network to the party, and my network is diverse. And that's how you get diversity in when I, cause I am now, I can, I've now punctured a hole in the door. Now I can say, Hey guys, come through this way. Um, and once you get through, now you punch some holes for these other people. And, and that's how it works. That's how it has to work in, in my opinion. And if people aren't invested in the educational piece and this is the future, this is the future. Like the past is like, you know, Trump style, right. You know, Corporate America from like day zero. People are product. Sell them as much we if they don't need it. Make sure they have it. I don't care if it kills them. Oversell them. Make sure they that you make money. That's the old model. New model is people vote with their dollars. You said that before. And that's true. So make sure that you know what you're doing. Your business practices are good. Also, if there's no educational component, you're not. What are you like? What are you really? What are you really doing? You know, Starbucks educated everybody on lattes. I didn't know shit about lattes and all kinds of milk and any kind of thing. Starbucks shows up. Now I'm talking about double shot latte with what? 20 years ago, nobody's talking about that stuff. Now people talk about IPAs. You know, 20 years ago, people, IPA, what the hell? Now people are like, oh, let me get an IPA. Look, you got to educate people. Uh, and that's the only answer. And 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 that's going to take some time. I love that you're already thinking about this education program because then you start to think about the legacy of okay there might be a kid right now who's in high school in orange and there might be a kid who maybe doesn't want to get saddled with a hundred thousand dollars of debt and student loans but is a really smart person and a really forward thinker and then you might have in five or ten years you might have established something where there might be brewers all over the country who if they see four city on someone's resume they go oh i can get a four city person in here and that starts to set that standard and you go that is that what a smart and thoughtful way roger thinking about that answer to that question of you can't you're right homeowners do want their prices to rise i'm a homeowner now and i sit here i go okay yeah you you'd start to think a little differently when you actually own it you go okay yeah what raises the price okay how do you still do that forward thing right well, are there kids right now who could 
become, you're effectively training, right? And part of that is getting away from that cutthroat mentality of these aren't secrets. People might go, well, why would you train someone who might be your competition? Well, because competition is <laughs> good and because a legacy is good. And it's thinking more about how you're almost thinking, it's funny. I think of breweries as breweries, but then you're starting to describe it something that you almost see more in the world of fine dining, right? Where chefs have their sous chefs who work under them who then start their own restaurants. And what does that do except expand a legacy and raise the tide for everybody? That's awesome. That's it's it's this is what I'm doing. You probably agree. This is not rocket science. This is not some mysterious secret. This has been going on for generations. You know, right. there's a reason why some generations and some cultures have risen to the top and some have dominated because they they practice this stuff. They they you know you know they got to train the kids. Yeah. You know you got you got to train you know the next generation. And again, visibility is. Crucial. I didn't know this was possible until I saw Garrett Oliver, uh, the, who is the uh, brewer for Brooklyn Brewery. I didn't even know there were black brewers until I saw him a few years back. So just seeing him, I didn't, I, I was like, wow, like you're black and you, you, wow, I didn't even know it was possible. So imagine what people or high school students when they see me or they see one of their, you know, friends who takes this class and then now is like working at a brewery. And then a few years later, they own their own brewery. It's like, you know, Back, you know, it's, yeah, uh, education is such a, um, you know, there was a time where people, the education served the kids, you know, as a former educator, there's a time when it really served the kids. You had shop, you had home ec, right? You had, you know, you had, uh, um, you know, all these classes put in place. I had an accounting class. I learned how to balance a checkbook. Still don't know how to do it now, but, you know, I learned all that stuff in school, (laughs) You know, learned how all these things that you needed to do, how to open a bank account, how to write. I learned, I remember being in class, learning how to write a check, like learning how to actually write yeah. a check. Like, here's a sample check, write the date, the time you had to write out the, the, you know, the number, it, you write it out, spell it out. I'm like, what? Like, I remember that. And now education is all about scores, right? You know, what can people, whatever. And COVID was honestly, was the, per- like, I call it like everybody paused out the matrix. Like that was the matrix moment where everybody got logged off the matrix at the same time. <laughs> it was like, we're all fucking batteries, right? So it's like, now people are like, wait a minute. I don't have to do, you know, I don't actually like this. You know, I yeah. never really wanted to really do this. I always actually wanted to draw. Or I was always wanted to cook, or I was wanted to whatever, and I think people are realizing too that education is outdated. Like it's just outdated. People, kids now need to be jumped into the gang a lot quicker. Kids don't have time to be sitting like yeah, you need to sit and learn some stuff, but it needs to be like okay, half your class is this, now the other half is you're going to be out at this job. Because let's face it, kids don't have social skills anymore because of the freaking internet. So we have to train them on the job with these internships, not to be douches. Not to be, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's about as real talk as it gets right there. Right? Oh, I feel I got a headache today. I can't come. No, you still come into work, fuckhead. Not leave your partner with all your coworkers to do all your work because you felt sick. No, you don't talk to somebody crazy on email. No, you don't do that. You say them, you have a meeting, like we have to train them how to do that. So I think high school, high school should be a hybrid of in class and in person mm-hmm. because the parenting people apparently want to outsource their parenting now. And parents and economically too, 
even if it's not rooted in irresponsibility, with the way costs of everything rise and the way that wages haven't risen, a lot of parents now, everybody has to be working and kids are left on their own to figure it out. And if all a high school is focused on is a numerical store and a test, you can see, well, there's we've created a big vacuum and nobody's filling in that skill set. Yeah. Kids, school should really be like, here's the theory in the morning. Da, da, da. The afternoon is you're going to work at the school bakery. You're going to work at the school cafeteria. You're going to work at the school bank. You know, um, you know, let's have a school bank. You know, yeah. shit. You know, real money. You know, you know, like hundred bucks, whatever, like whatever it is, we have tax money, whatever that is, you get allocated the, the, the $20,000 cost to educate a kid, hundred of that goes into this fund for your, when you get to be in ninth grade, you get an account at the student bank. Dude, I remember Western Chai, and I know you didn't go to the public school, but I think you can vouch for me. Like for a town that's regarded as generally nice with, you know, the up the hill, down the hill thing, but still a generally nice town. The high school always had a weird reputation for being like tougher than the town itself. Like it was always viewed as like West Orange High was, and certainly Edison Middle School. Don't get me started on the Edison Middle, the, the divide between the middle schools, all this stuff that ties into what you're saying. But I look back and I remember there were kids, I think my freshman or sophomore year who got caught and and uh, suspended, and I think put in Gamblers Anonymous because they were sh- caught <laughs> shooting dice in a science classroom while a class was happening. This is true. I remember these kids' names. And I look back and I go, man, they got in so much trouble for that. And they should have, but there's also probably an opportunity there that wasn't taken. That's exactly what you're saying, which is like, if you guys can run an underground craps ring under a teacher's nose while a class is happening. You're hey. probably some of our most motivated potential entrepreneurs. Right. So can Problem we solvers? Us, can we direct <laughs> and math and, and math? You're doing math on the right? fly in your head, running a right? business effectively. Seriously. You should get a slap on the wrist for that. And now is there a track where, like you said, right. is there a track where we can go? If you want to do that, you could be doing this. And this is the real world hustle that might give you the same dopamine kick that that did. Cause that's what yeah. those kids are chasing money and dopamine. Yeah. Let's put you in charge of something. Exactly. Kids, you know, and again, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, and, and added onto that, what I've learned, the internet has sped everything up. Mm-hmm. So when we were younger, there was no internet. Uh, well, at least when I was younger, there was no internet. So we had to read and, you know, if you're, if you love music, I had to wait for my song to come on the radio. And then when I got to high school, I had to put it on play and pause. And when it came on, I unpaused it and I had to wait. I had to wait. Now there's no waiting. Now if a kid wants to find out who the president of Zimbabwe was back in 19, whatever, they can find that out immediately. So kids have are grown up have grown up faster. So school to them, the old model of them sitting and lecture, a lot of that lecture, like either if even if they don't know it the way it's being presented to them is not engaging because they're so used to getting this information faster. What that means is that what I'm taking it as they need to get involved in the hands-on sooner. That's all. There was a time where it's like, Hey, let's wait till they're in high school till they're a bit more hands-on and know what they're doing. Nope. There should be stuff to happen in the middle school. There should be shop. There should be uh, home ec fifth grade um, baking, whatever computers, coding, mm-hmm. uh, all that, those, these careers, these kids need to be exposed to these careers early because if I knew as a kid in fifth grade that doing something creative, that I can make money from doing something creative, I would have been a creator a lot sooner. 
you know, the way I was raised, right? We were all raised. No, you need a real job. Yes. Dude, the fact that I lived, because I grew up, like I said, down near like Colgate Park and Our Lady of Lord's Church. Mm -hmm. If I told anybody back then, hey, I'm going to go be an actor, I'm going to go be a comedian. Like, what? What? Dude, what? You can't even. You right. can put you Make me laugh right now. Sends you up to Overbrook, man. Like the mental. What are you talking about? That's not what we do. And, right. And then look at me too. I'm a white guy whose parents are married, from, came from a stable home, and I felt that. I go, oh right. my god, what's a kid like? We were to bring it back to what we were talking before. And West Orange has a lot of advantages comparative to a lot of other places, and that's how I felt. Like it was this daunting uphill task. I go, what's a kid in East Orange feeling or Irvington oh. feeling? You know, right. Right? I can't imagine. I can't imagine. If that's right? what I was feeling, I can't imagine. And this is why, and, and people don't understand, this is why, you know, we talk about kids in the hood and hood shit, whatever. This is, you know, why kids act the way they do. You know, people understand, you know, and I've been lucky. You know, being black in America is not easy no matter what class you are because it doesn't matter to the supremacist, right? You could be rich or poor. It doesn't really matter. But I've been lucky to be, you know, have parents who I grew up in West Orange, you know, I went, you know, I went to a good school. I lived in New York for 15 years. I'm back here, you know, like I'm fine uh, safety wise. But when you live in an environment where your daily safety is threatened, where your, your, your home life is threatened all because of your zip code. I mean, that's the thing. It's random and arbitrary. This like, the only reason you're born this way, the only reason you have this life is because of the color of skin that you are. Or, you know, that, that just seems like that's hard to take when you know inside you're a talented person, you have a lot to give, and everything around you saying you guys aren't shit, you, you have nothing. Yeah, you're going to get mad. Yeah, you're going to shoot shit up. Yeah, you're going to, you know, uh, do things that may damage your own property. They don't seem right in the same time. But nobody listens to you when you try to be calm. Right. You know, when you're calm, you get choked out. When you wild out, you get choked out. Well, fuck it. I might as well just wild the fuck out because you're going to choke me out anyway or shoot me anyway. So I might as well be this person. And that's where I'm not, this is not an excuse. This is not saying, oh, well, you know, you should let all that, that, that slide because obviously violence begets violence. But when I look at my fellow brothers and sisters who don't have this quality of life that I do, like, who am I to judge? Who, who Who's anybody to judge? Yeah. Who's Especially anybody? because like you're saying too, it's a zip code and it's arbitrary. And there might be people listening going, well, you know, it sucks for these kids, but their parents made choices that landed them in that zip code. And then you go in so, some cases, I bet. And then in other cases you go, well, if you lived in a community that was a strong community and then a highway, it was deemed this community was worth a highway coming in. Instead, when right. I displaced all these people, you shattered a community. If you go, you mentioned things like redlining, things like, real estate things like white flight you go i don't and that's the game is rigged it's, and it's super rigged kids honestly my biggest thing right now and i have a lot of friends who do real estate so this is not a dig at any of them they're awesome but and they're doing you know, great right now i bet they're too. doing awesome but let's keep it real real estate agents are very influential on how neighborhoods are constructed super influential and i and i've got actual stories from neighbors who lived in this area and live in other areas where realtors tried to steer them away from West Orange in some places or mm-hmm. steer them towards, Oh, you sure you want to be in West Orange? You know, I'm not sure, sure about the school, 
you know, whenever I hear, well, you know, I'm not so sure about the school. Sometimes I feel like they're really saying is like, you're going to be there with a lot of people who don't look like you. Are you okay with that? Yeah. That's what they're really saying. We don't know if this section of town is changing at the rapid pace. Like, honestly, dude, yo, I think this will, I think you will, the, I feel like you and I have a lot in common in certain ways. And I think you will both laugh in, in the, in the dark humor way of this and it will break your heart. So the block my mom grew up on, her house got knocked down when they expanded the Edison factories. Okay. Now, as a West Orange guy, you know that those Edison factories sat abandoned on Main Street in town for right. decades. decades. And I think, yep. to me, having grown up right there, my mom having grown up literally in the house knocked down for them, me down the block, those warehouses sitting there abandoned represented something subconsciously in my mind about where you're from in this town. Mm-hmm. certain parts of town, they would never have let abandoned factories sit there for decades. They just wouldn't, you know? Now you also know those factories have been turned into like million dollar condos. But then you look right across the street and it's still, there's four family homes where one of the four family homes still has boards over the windows. And I remember telling my mom that and she just, uh, on the phone, I was like, my, I drove past the factories. They're all fancy now. She's like, how do they look? I was like, it's kind of crazy because those used to be these like, looming abandoned scary ass factories and I go but it's nuts too because it's like I know that a lot of those people probably are taking these uh, shuttle buses to the train stations to get to their city jobs and then I go mom but right across the street it still looks like it used to and my mom goes it's just quiet it broke my heart because my mom's in her 70s but she grew up on Liberty Street and she just goes I don't care how much of that Montclair money shows up in West Orange, certain neighborhoods aren't ever going to see it. And I was just like, oof, that's how she feels. She's ingrained to feel that. Yeah. 48. She still feels that. That sucks. It does. I don't know if she's right or wrong, but it sucks. Yeah. There's probably people who grow. There's got to be people living next to those condos today who are just going, fuck this. (laughs) They have to be. I'm from that neighborhood. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, you're right. It is bittersweet. I do laugh at the dark humor because it's, it is kind of heartbreaking and, you know, the lofts in that, you know, that whole downtown has always been, it's from the history since I moved back to West Orange 17 years ago, that's been the source of so much controversy. What's happening at that lot and, you know, was abandoned for decades and then they started building on it, whatever. I'll say all this to say is that, you know, I think, you know, the leadership in general in this country is at that weird, I think they're, they're on the, they're, this is their last hurrah, right? Like they're aging out, you know, the guys who were in their fifties, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, who are are out here doing things uh, negative and positive, they're aging out. And the newer generation of politicians, although on both sides, there's, good and bad, but I think the younger generation has been exposed to a lot more diversity, even if not immediately in their lives of being around black people, but through the internet and through just black, you know, technology, you know, I think people are slightly a bit more open. So what I'm hoping is that the current mentality, when you look at the, you know, the uh, developments of being like, fuck this, you know, I'm optimistic that that view of West Orange will change. Um, I think there will be new blood. I think it's, it's, you know, 
it's just historical. Right? It, it, nothing goes on forever. And I think West Orange is a very, at a very crucial time in its history where, you know, there's an opportunity to like with the next mayoral race, like there's, there's actually a black person, a black male running for mayor. Um, this, you know, there's women running for mayor. So I think, and I don't think we ever had a female or a non-white person mayor in West Orange since the history of time. Yeah. Uh, Cause I've been, I've been to town hall and I looked at the pictures uh, that go back into like year zero and I didn't see anybody. Um, so, um, you know, I think West Orange has has a weird opportunity, uh, a unique opportunity to capitalize on the diversity and the culture that it already that it already has. Like when I go to West Orange High, when I see the football games, when I see any soccer, whatever, I see a unified community. It's awesome. And I cheering everybody on. I, I don't get see the sense division. that the schools and the town are starting to embrace that as an asset, right? As opposed to when I grew up in the '90s. Right. Where it felt like the young people understood it was an asset and an opportunity, and then the old it was sort of like the older you get, the more you feel the separations in the town. Right. Um, right. Which was which I look back, I go, that's that's a wasted chance. Now it feels like the the dialogue and the sense I get from the town from afar is we understand that this town is a melting pot and has. I mean, the the diversity I had in Western High when I I graduated in '98. It, People would pray for that diversity today in their schools. Absolutely. I don't think we quite knew what to do with it then. And now I think they see it as that. I go, man, it's exciting times for my hometown. It, it if really they're is. really seeing that, that's exciting shit. It really is. I mean, I, I really do get the sense, again, when I, when I go to the high school stuff, when I see local events, when I go to people's house parties, when I, you know, when you really get involved with the community and the people, you'll see super diverse people are cool out here. It's just the leadership hasn't really caught up to that, or they haven't figured out that that's an asset to use to promote the town. I think we like to promote the diversity in the stuff that we feel safe in, and that's most black people stuff, which is sports and music, right? So anything sports and music, West Orange people like were awesome. They were the best, um, <laughs> right? Because everybody, everybody like the, the people don't mind seeing people of color on the field or, or on the stage because that's comfortable. We're used to that. It's when it's in the city council, when it's in the classroom, and when it's in on the police force, and people start it's to when, catch. Let's a be bit. honest. It's when it's when you're raising a kid in town, and this kid has been raised in this diversity, and then goes, "Hey, I'm going to bring my my boyfriend or girlfriend home tonight," and they walk through the door and they don't look like what the parent expects them to look like. It's that. That's when the right. That's when, and and that's where people have right? to right, and 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 we have to again, not to say that we can solve that. But, you know, my motto is let's just keep it 100, guys. If we don't, why would you go to the doctor with a pain in your back and then get there? What's going on? Well, I got a pain. I got a pain in my, uh, in my leg. Why would you lie about where the pain is? You know, why would you say, well, I would, you know, why would you just throw people like, you know, people like, oh, no, there's nothing wrong. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I see. I see no color. Okay. You know, that's like saying I got a pain in my leg. You got a pain in your back. Hey, man, you know, I got a pain in my lower back. It's been like this for, okay, you know what? Let's take an x-ray to make sure there's nothing going on, right? Mm -hmm. And then, oh, you know what? Nothing's broken. That's ruled out. Now let's move on to this. Why don't we look at race that way? Why don't we do a deep, hey, where, where's the cancer? This is okay. Well, let's do some research. How long has this been going on? Shit, from the beginning of time. Fuck. Okay. Well, 
how what can we beginning of time jesus yeah okay so this is serious then (laughs) yeah yeah okay so we need to drop all whatever we're doing over here and focus on this right now yeah okay great so what do we need to do to fix this because if we don't if if you bleed out doesn't matter if you got uh stitches on your leg you know let's let's cut you know Let's get keep you from bleeding out. And racism is the thing that's making us bleed out. And we're pretending when we're focusing on all these superficial wound stuff. Oh, look, we got a black this, we got a black that. Black nothing if there's no power behind it. Obama proved that, right? You give the guy, he's in the top office. What does Congress do? Give him the middle finger for eight years. You say left, we're going to say right. You say right, we're going to say left. You say up, we're going to say down. Why? Because we don't like you. Fine. But... So what? He was the first black president. I mean, yeah, great, but. Right. In the same way that you go, everybody rallied around George Floyd and felt good about themselves. And now a couple, I mean, not even within a couple of years, we've invented this idea of critical race theory that people are protesting a thing that is largely not even a factor in their lives. You're basically calling, you're you're basically rebranding the truth as as a lie. You're rebranding the truth. And a Could lot of these are the same people who were marching right? a couple years ago, but now that the pendulum swings, it's it's you know, a very strange thing. But but it, but so again, uh, I, I still have to say we have to talk honestly and directly about how things work in our towns, not so we can blow people up, but so we can fix it. That's all. Yeah. It, it, it's it's not about thing. We're, we're beyond finger pointing, guys. We're beyond that. We're beyond the blame game. And, and, and I hate, and I hate, I hate them when I, I hate saying game. I hate saying race card. When I hear race card, I'm like, oh, you think this is a game because cards are a fucking game. So you think we're playing a game now. So you think we take this race card out like it's a game, like Uno. It's not Uno. This is our fucking live. So this is not a card we play, you know? Yeah. And that's, 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 that's the thing that really gets my goal. Well, I hate, or oh, I can't believe you're bringing in the race card here, bro. How, what are you talking about? This country was built on free labor for 400 years. You had a 400 year head start. What, so what are you trying to say? It's like, so you, we're playing football, right? You don't get, so we get pads, we get the, we get helmets, we get training, you get no pads and no ball. It's right. now 300 to one in the fourth quarter. Now you're like, all right, here's your pads, guys. All right. right. Are we going to start over? No, no, it's still 300 to one. You guys can, right. you guys and you're can all, rally. And, and you've gotten 85 concussions in your life, and we're going to be mad at you that you can't focus we're gonna right you, now. We're going to give you a billion dollars to get your team together and give you all the resources for you to catch up. And what, you guys still not caught up? Man, we gave you like five years, and we're still kicking your ass. So I, look, maybe you guys aren't good. Yeah. I have to say <laughs> this all in relate this whole chunk of this conversation springs up from the idea of an education program based at a brewery and I sit here I go holy shit like I'm not trying to blow smoke I'm like who can listen to any of this and think anything except we need more guys like Roger running local <laughs> businesses because right craft brewery in orange the danger is that real estate goes hey Near a train station. Hey, Brooklyn people, it's the same train line as Maplewood. You want to think about it? And what happens then? Like you said, okay, 
positive side right away, you start going, okay, homeowners, homeowners, property value is going to rise. That's helping. Okay. But how do we make sure that the renters then aren't told, Hey guys, sorry, you're priced out. Probably you're more East Orange, Irvington people now. That's the fear as an Essex County person. If I'm being real, that's the conversation you fear. But then you sit here and go, Oh no, Roger's got a fucking plan. <laughs> I hope it works. <laughs> Roger's an educator at heart. You are someone who taught in York schools. You're someone who's seen kids and you've seen how the system is rigged. Oh, yeah, man. Roger's just, you're just not ever going to let. I, it strikes me just from this conversation of like, yeah, your business is not going to be the excuse for people to get displaced. It's going to be the excuse for those same people to get some opportunities that may not have existed before your business was there. I go, holy shit, man. That's in the same way that we were saying before, where you spend your money as activists, well, how you use your position in life as activists. Oh, man. And it sounds like you're Yo. someone who's really in tune with that. And Yo. I feel charged up Yo. about it. Chris, honestly, man, you just, man, I was not, again, not trying to be one of three black owners, all this stuff. I, that was not... I was just trying to brew beer and run a business and the, you know, this, the perfect, well, not perfect storm, but the storm of, you know, BLM and COVID and focus on black owned and women owned businesses and all that stuff. You know, the timing just put me in a position where I was getting emails and contacted by people to, you know, speak about things I've been speaking about with my friends for, for decades. Like I've been talking about this with my friend, Joe metal, who's my, uh, co-founder in the EEB, we, you know, we were, you know, we, I met him teaching PE together, you know, and yeah. we would have these conversations after work by my fire pit at a bar after we had a terrible class or a terrible day. And we're like, man, education, it's gotta be better. There's gotta be a way to do education in a way that's just more equitable. That just makes more sense. That's, you know, that gets people the result that they want. You know, I think people want to be successful no matter what that means, whether that means a full-time job or working here, whatever, then people want the opportunity to have that. And they need the freedom to explore that. And we want to create a space for people to explore that. We understand that people might do this program. They may never want to brew. They may never brew at all, but they'll pick something up that they never learned before. Maybe what they learned in the business section will help them someplace else. Maybe we learn in the brew thing. Who knows? But we want to give people, like I said, a platform to jump off because my goal is to be able to walk to any city in New Jersey. I want to, I want to have so much money. You ready? This is my, this is my dream. People talk about going like buying up all this stuff and going to Jamaica and buying up. Look, if I had a dream, I'd have a jet, a private jet. I would go to every pick the worst crime ridden cities in the country in my jet. So show up. Hey guys, I'm going to talk to the mayor, talk to the mayor. Hey, if you give us 5,000 square feet in your worst area, for free. Just give me your worst area and give me two years. I will guarantee, I'll almost guarantee a functioning ecosystem, a brewery, everything with local talent. That's the goal. Because if Newark, Newark needs one, Watts needs one, Chicago needs a few, uh, Florida needs a shit ton, Michigan, all these impoverished areas, this is the this is the way out. Yeah, education is definitely the way, but education's gotta look different. We have to own our own shit in our own cities. We don't have to, we're already there. We're just put on the outside because the doors are shut. But if you have somebody from the inside opening a door up, that's the secret. So could you imagine an, a black owned brewery in California run by current or former gang members, right? 
who are not doing that anymore, who are positive, who are building a brewery. Can you imagine an all Latino uh, brewery somewhere, all Puerto Rican, all Dominican, all Korean, like Korean owners, Korean culture, Korean cans, the, the artwork, what would the tap room look like? What's the art on the wall going to be? Like it's an untapped market. It's completely untapped. You're a driven human being and I <laughs> am loving it. And what I love too is you found your lane in this love of brewing. But like you said, even if you educate people in this way and they don't take to brewing, well, maybe they fall into restaurants or, or maybe, Whatever. They, they, right. maybe they're real into collectibles and they own the next round of comic book stores or they own this or they own that. It, there's a, there's a logistical roadmap where it feels to me like one of the things you're saying is you through trial and error have figured some stuff out that seems to be going well. And now can we help people not have to spend two years on their business plan? Do we not? Exactly. have to It's awesome. And yeah. you and I could talk all day <laughs> and I have a feeling we will talk many more times in our lives. I hope, but I do just Absolutely. want to say, I want to say thank you for this conversation. I figured we'd be talking about the history of brewing. I figured we'd be having some good jokes about X County. I didn't realize that you're starting a brewery in an effort to hopefully redefine the way that working class people experience education all throughout our country. I'm like that. Yeah. What, yeah. A, what yeah. an amazing set of goals. So I just want to tell everybody out there listening, if you're a fan of New Jersey as the world, this means you should be wanting to support New Jersey businesses. Parking opens up at the train station after five. That's right. Cars. Free parking. We're it's really going to diminish the idea that your car might get fucked with. You're going to have a beer that no longer tastes like band-aids or onions. You're no, definitely not. On the wall, you might see some good bands play, and you're also going to be putting your money towards a business that has a stated goal and a fire in its gut to try to spread a very, very positive, productive mentality. So everybody, please go check out their website, Four City Brewing dot com and make your way to orange spend a couple bucks because anybody who has listened for this long i bet is just trying to figure out <laughs> how to give you their money at this point so i'll see you there for city brewing and roger thank you so much this conversation what a good way to start my day man chris man this was awesome thanks for having me on uh we'll definitely talk a lot more thank you for listening to this presentation of new jersey is the world New Jersey is the world is Chris Gethard, Mickey Bonaduce, Don Finelli, Andrea Quinn, Carson Kopp, and Mike D. New Jersey is the world is produced and edited by Carson Kopp, Mike D, and Andrea Quinn. You can find us online at New Jersey is the world and on Instagram at New Jersey is the world. Also, please feel free to reach out and leave us a voicemail by contacting the home office of New Jersey is the world at 973-780-4660 in regards to anything show or New Jersey related. Please subscribe and listen to more episodes of New Jersey is the world on your favorite podcast service. If you're looking to join our extremely opinionated and Jersey-ish community, head on over to Patreon.com and search for New Jersey is the world. We have merch, which you can find at BelowTheCollar.com after searching for Chris Gethard. Once again, thank you for listening to this presentation of New Jersey is the world. New Jersey is the world, where New Jersey 